Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Boyer's Modern History of Muskoka with your host, Patrick Boyer. Welcome to this sportiest program in my Modern History of Muskoka series over the airwaves of Hunters Bay Radio, our community station broadcasting for Muskokans from here in Huntsville. For this first broadcast of the new year, 2023, I'm turning to the vital subject of First Nations. For the rest of this year, I'll schedule 12 months of programs about Muskoka's modern history on different aspects of Indigenous life. Now, an interesting thing about years being counted out by calendar month is that there are 12, while First Nations observe passage of time by the moon, which runs through 13 complete cycles in a year. For programming purposes here at Hunter's Bay, my schedule actually has 13 broadcasts slotted out for the 52 weeks of 2023. <laughs> so you could say we're already well launched for a year of First Nation content. Guiding the way is a slogan of the school board in charge of Muskoka schools. One way the Trillium Lakelands board guides students and teachers and staff, and thousands of members of the public connected with our schools, is acknowledging that the lands on which its schools sit, and all those people are living and learning uh, and uh, right here on what has been and remains traditional First Nation territory. Here's how Trillium Lakeland's acknowledgement statement begins. Trillium Lakelands District School Board, as a learning organization, acknowledges that we learn, live, and work on the traditional lands and waters of the Ojibwe Nation and the Huron-Wendat Nation that now include communities from the Mohawk Nation, the Potawatomi Nation, and the Métis Nation of Ontario. So perhaps you're now thinking, or maybe want to ask a teacher or the school board, how can five different indigenous peoples claim the same traditional territory? Well, hold that question for a moment. Here's the next part of the Trillium Landlords, uh, Lake, <laughs> Trillium Lakelands uh, acknowledgement. It's all about who's the landlords here. here. Here's what they go on to say. Under the One Dish with One Spoon Treaty, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy and the Anishinaabe peoples agreed to share and care for this territory for the benefit of future generations. We acknowledge their stewardship through the, throughout the ages. Now I'm sure there are more questions. Besides asking how five different indigenous peoples can claim common territory, 
For instance, what on earth does one dish with one spoon mean? The third question, why would two great First Nations, the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe, often at war with one another, make a treaty about sharing and caring for this territory? What's the history here? Fourth, was the treaty, as the school board intimates, for the benefit of future generations alone? Or was there something more pressing between the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe in their own times, a hundred years, hundreds of years ago, when this one dish with one spoon treaty was first agreed to, and thereafter ratified a number of times, and even added to? And the fifth question: What are all these names for indigenous people that seem to overlap and make it confusing about who's who? You might. Rightly, be wondering where do Mohawks and Chippewas fit in, or, or Algonquians, and where in Muskoka are the Potawatomi? Well, there must be some pretty interesting history to all this, right? Well, that's what this program and, and the others to follow will be dealing with. First off, though, let's give credit to the Trillium Lakelands School Board for having a Mohawk elder instructing students in the culture and history of First Nations. We can give credit for two reasons. Elder Christopher Stock, a member of Wata First Nation in West Muskoka, is an amazing knowledge keeper with a lifelong store of learning, experience, and wisdom. And as I've witnessed in a number of venues, Christopher Stock is a remarkably skilled teacher of children and adults. Further evidence of that came just last month when the school board itself awarded Christopher Stock its Director of Education's Recognition Award. Second reason to salute our school board is that a couple of years ago, Ontario's Ministry of Education revamped the provincial curriculum and lumped all ethnic minorities together as an academic subject for social studies, which they no longer call history. The ministry's mantra for this is equity and inclusion. What that means is somebody down in Toronto believes Indigenous peoples who've been here for thousands of years are to be seen by Ontario students on the same footing as immigrants of the past few hundred years. That policy denies Canada's constitution, ignores Canada's history, and mocks dozens of other realities. The Ministry of Education's effort at social engineering denies the constitutional, con cultural, conservationist and heritage status of Indigenous peoples. This policy of equity and inclusion counteracts Canada's diversity and people's distinctiveness. It is being implemented just as a great awakening to the reality of Indigenous presence is finally taking place among the Canadian public. 
Just listen to these words from the Chippewas of Rama on whose traditional lands Muskokans find ourselves. We have a unique way of life, but also live in much the same way as members of neighboring communities. Although we have special traditions, we generally eat, learn, shop, and play in much the same way as other Canadians in Southern Ontario. There are many cultural groups that make up the fabric of Canada. We are one of those groups, but we have our own place in that fabric. We are one of the first nations in this country and take great pride in that unique and special status. We consider ourselves to be forward thinking and are proud of the steps we have taken to make sure we control our own affairs. This is as clear a statement as you'll ever hear about why and how Indigenous people are intrinsic to Muskoka and Ontario's society. I want to be very clear. The equity and inclusion policy of Ontario's education ministry is unnecessary and unhelpful. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, as part of our Constitution, guarantees not equity, but much more and something better, legal equality of every individual Canadian, each with one another, whether you or your ancestors come from Europe, Asia, Africa, the Caribbean, or any other place. Sound government policy and education would be based on and proceed from the Constitution and the rights that it guarantees to all Canadians, rather than it now does with mind game social engineering by those crafting what rising generations are to be taught under a top-down school curriculum. The Canadian Constitution also explicitly enshrines multiculturalism. Further, it includes provisions recognizing the distinctive status and standing of Indigenous peoples in Canada. To repeat those words of the Anishinaabe, quote, there are many cultural groups that make up the fabric of Canada. We are one of those groups, but we have our own place in that fabric. We are one of the first nations in this country and take great pride in that unique and special status. Therefore, it is encouraging and a cause for celebration that our Halliburton and Muskoka School Board found a workaround for this conundrum in its classrooms. Our students here, with tutelage from Christopher Stock and other First Nation knowledge keepers, can keep their eyes and minds open to be guided about real history and this district's embedded culture. The issue at hand is for all Ontarians to sidestep the provincial government's naive and counterproductive attempts at social engineering 
and instead uphold the distinctiveness of Canadians and the legally enforceable constitutional rights of every citizen of Canada and the unique constitutional status of Indigenous peoples in Canada. <laughs> well, with that point emphatically made, let's catch our breath now during a station break. On the other side, we can take up some of those questions. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Boyer's Modern History of Muskoka, with your host, Patrick Boyer. Welcome back. I'm Patrick Boyer. Now, let's get to those questions that come out of the Twilliam Lakeland School Board Acknowledgement Statement. For openers, it'll help to sort out some terms and names. Contact means the first time Indigenous people in North, Central, and South America encountered new arrivals from different overseas cultures and lands. Contact did not happen on a single day, but over centuries given the vastness of the regions and diversities of people. The relationship after this, or post-contact, changed both those native to the place and the settlers who sought to subdue or colonize them. The names Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee are both umbrella terms that cover a number of First Nations. The way we have different people in regions across our country, but are, together, known as Canadians. Haudenosaunee identifies six Iroquois-speaking nations, Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, and Tuscarona. At about the time of contact, they were a united uh, confederacy south of Lakes, Ontario, and Erie. People under the very large Anishinaabe umbrella of Algonquian-speaking people include in this province the Ojibwe, Mississauga, Menominee, Potawatomi, Algonquin, and many more. There can be confusion when the same people are called different names. In Greater Muskoka, for instance, the name Ojibwe may appear to have been supplanted by Chippewa, as if by preference of the community. However, the name Chippewa is a bastardization of Ojibwe. Ben Cousineau, a member of Rama First Nation, has explained to me, over Several generations, he said, Ojibwe became Ochippewa, became Chippewa, became Chippewa. Indian Affairs officials, he notes, unilaterally assigned that name to our status cards and communities. So, finally, what is a dish with one spoon? This term and variations of it has been enshrined for a very long time in First Nation peace treaties. 
For centuries, North American indigenous peoples developed the concept of a dish with one spoon for sharing land and avoiding war. The dish is a metaphor for land that one nation, such as the Anishinaabe from Muskoka, has traditionally occupied and uses, while the notional spoon symbolizes how people from other territories, such as Mohawks arriving in Muskoka from Kanasataki in the 1880s, could also eat as one with the Anishinaabe from this common pot, that is, share the land's resources, so long as balance was maintained. That required peace between the people and not everything in the bowl to be eaten. For example, such as harvesting all the beavers for their valuable pelts in the lucrative fur trade with the Europeans. There is extensive history to these treaties and their evolution and much to be learned about cultural practices and the oral traditions of indigenous peoples. For instance, a dish with one spoon took on representational form in the symbolic beadwork of wampum belts. Senior chiefs, such as Chief Muskwaki, for whom Muskoka is named, would then explain and interpret the wampum belt's meaning at gatherings of First Nations. These, these belts are all the beadwork, right? Different colored beads and so forth. By ensuring in these ways that everyone remained familiar with its provisions and could be, remain in agreement with them, the dish with one spoon agreement was effective in establishing and maintaining peace for long stretches of time between Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples. In the long lens of history, we can look back and see that the dish with one spoon became an inspired political concept to support what academics might call a geographic social configuration. The mutual cooperation that the dish with one spoon engendered, once understood and accepted, produced peaceful coexistence of different peoples living on and using the same land together. With contact, when colonists arrived in North America, they brazenly claimed First Nations land bases for themselves, then further sought to own these lands, sometimes through warfare, other times through treaties. The colonists' treaties formalized a European approach to land that was incompatible with indigenous culture and the dish with one spoon concept. Exclusive land ownership simply did not align with the First Nation land sharing principle. This impulse of settler society to implement its land ownership concepts through treaties created intractable problems that endure in many places across Canada to the present day, as anybody who follows daily news knows very well. Let's focus on our own district. Since the land acknowledgement statements now becoming common in Muskoka specifically refer to this territory. 
indigenous people having a unique custodial relationship with land are vital to Muskoka and since contact have significantly shaped the character of, uh, uh, of our district's culture. Mohawks live in community at Wata on the west side of the district, while Ojibwe have homes at their Rama and Wasoskin communities at Lake Kuchiching and on Perry Island in Georgian Bay, respectively. Many other members of both these First Nations uh, live in Muskoka towns and villages, as do Métis people. Since the 1830s, Potawatomi people from south of the Great Lakes have brought along Muskoka's Georgian Bay coast at Moose Deer Point. The, additionally, the Chippewas of Rama and Wata Mohawks share reserved lands beside the Indian River in Port Carling, to which many return in summer. Well, we've begun to scratch the surface of these and, and uh, related topics. It's good we've got a, a year to cover more history on the installment plan. For now, since we began with a land acknowledgement statement, let's end today's uh, program the same way. The Trillium Lakeland School Board isn't the only publicly elected body in Muskoka crafting acknowledgements. The District of Muskoka itself has no fewer than nine different variations of land statements and invites you to pick and choose what best fits a specific situation. One version I'm partial to, being someone who writes books and gives public talks, urges Muskokans to learn more about Indigenous realities and traditions. Here, here's how it goes. I challenge everyone here today to seek out knowledge read books, have conversations, share what you know, inspire others to learn, look inward and outward, and take actions towards real truth and reconciliation. And in seeking knowledge, no, that's the end of the quote, but in seeking knowledge, let's share another dozen installments of Indigenous realities right here over the coming year. Thank you for listening. Producer for Boyer's Modern History of Muskoka here at Hunters Bay Radio in Huntsville is Matthew Fisher. I'm Patrick Boyer. <laughs>